Welcome, Jamsters, to the Suns Jam Session podcast. You are joined by John and Matthew, and we're very excited because this is actually going to be the first podcast that we're actually going to throw up on our YouTube channel. So if you have not subscribed to the Suns Jam Session YouTube channel, it's real simple. You just go to YouTube and type in Suns Jam Session, and there we are. Make sure you follow us on Twitter, at Suns Jam. You can follow us on Instagram, at, at Suns Jam. Make sure that you subscribe to the Bright Side of the Sun podcast network. That's where you can pick up this podcast, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify, wherever you get your pods. Uh, but without further ado, allow me to introduce my cohort in crime, the master of the microphone, Matthew Paulissi. How are you doing, sir? Good, John. How are you doing? This is Matthew Paulissi. <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. You can follow me on, <laughs> on Twitter at Darth Voida. You can follow Matthew on Twitter. At Matthew Lissy. <laughs> yeah, that'd be, that'd be the place. And we are the Suns Jam Session podcast team. So thank you for listening. Today, we're going to once again visit our forgotten squads. And last time we did this, we did the 83-84 Suns squad. And we chose for this podcast to do the 05-06 Suns squad. And there's a couple different reasons for that. Matthew, why don't you give us a couple of those reasons? A couple of reasons because it's forgotten to me because there was so much hope the year before. And it started out with the injury to Amari. And I feel like there was just a whole lot of disappointment going into the year. So there wasn't a lot of expectation. And I feel like that is the main reason everyone forgets the season is because the expectations were so low for this team. I think that's the number one reason for sure. Without a doubt. I mean, you talk about the year before. The year before was a surprise to everybody. Seeing Steve Nash coming over to the Suns, yeah, we knew that the Suns would be better than, what, 29 wins? But I don't think that we foresaw them going on to win 62 games. So they come out in 04, 05 and just dominate the NBA. And all of a sudden you're like, hell yeah, we got a winner in Phoenix again. We took a couple years off, but the winning is back, baby. And then what happens? Well, we'll get into that on this edition of Forgotten Squads. 0506. But first, got to pop up with a beer, baby. Oh, hide that label. <laughs> label is hidden. Mm. Let's talk about the 0506 Phoenix Sun Squad. So, as Matthew mentioned, there was not a lot of expectations going into this year because, you know, just a lot of things didn't kind of go the Suns' way, right? Yeah, no, it, it didn't. Um, you would think it's like Suns' bad luck, but it could go into that kind of category, I think. It's just they had bad luck this year. I mean, they had the, the team they had before everyone loved, and then they switched it up big time, and then you got the injury with Amari. So you don't really know how the pieces are going to fit going into the next season. Mm -hmm. But – just the just the like the punch to the gut with Amari missing the season um, just really killed them. But they had some players and key players step up that showed how good Nash really was and how much he can he can take anybody like Tim Thomas and put him into the offense and make them an all star. So this was the best example of how Steve Nash was the greatest and how he won those MVPs. Well, yeah, and of course they're coming off the 405. Uh, season where they won 33 games more than the previous season. They went to the Western Conference final that year and lost in four games to the Spurs. And of course, that's when Joe Johnson was injured in the Dallas series and wasn't completely healthy entering that Spurs series. So 
hopes were high. Nash had just won the MVP for turning Phoenix around. And, you know, we were preparing for another dominant run. And then kind of some things started to happen. So I'll start with the 2005 NBA draft, all right? So some of the highlights of that draft was the number one overall pick was Andrew Bogut. Remember good old Andrew Bogut? I think he just retired the other yeah. day, right? Yeah, he might have retired. I remember he came back uh, two seasons ago, right, with the Warriors? Yeah, the yeah. Yeah, I just kind of rode the bench. But, yeah, I remember that guy. Yep, and then, of course, the, too bad. there was Darren Williams went third overall to Utah. You had Chris Paul went uh, fourth overall to the New Orleans Hornets. And this is the 2005 season, so they end up playing a lot of their time in OKC because Katrina hit in 05, if I remember correctly. Uh, Channing Frye went eighth to the Knicks. Monta Ellis scored the second most career points out of anyone who was drafted in 2005, and he went 40th to the Warriors. And then Lou Will went 45th to the Sixers. So oh, okay. that's kind of the draft. Again, the Suns weren't really looking to build their team via the draft. They had the 21st pick, and it was actually the Bulls picks that – that, uh, that was sent to Phoenix via the Luau Dang trade a year prior. And they take that pick. They, uh, they draft Nate Robinson. And then their second-round pick was Marcin Gortat, who they traded to Orlando for future considerations, which turned out to be cash. Like, remember when the Suns had the opportunity to just take their draft picks? Like, yeah, we don't need them. Just give us some money. Yeah, I remember those days. <laughs> now, but think about like how much we look at the draft and we analyze the draft and we get excited for the players who are coming out. This could be the next franchise block that we need. Back then, right? Like, fuck it. Here, you can have uh, more Chingortat. Just give us some money. Yeah. No, draft picks really didn't matter back then at all, but they turned into different players. I mean, they turned into players that eventually were decent uh with the trades that we made i know like i said before in the last podcast it doesn't really matter because you can't tell who a, a team's gonna draft you don't know how well those players are gonna turn out mm-hmm. so it doesn't it didn't really matter even to the suns back then because they were just so focused on winning the championship um and that's why they they changed their team so much and with the trade that they made um with joe johnson going to the hawks and then yes. we getting and then us getting Diao. I'm kind of. I was watching the some of the playoff games, and I was like, you know, Diaw, especially when he was slimmer, when he was on the Suns. I know he wasn't maybe an All Star like Joe Johnson, but Diaw was really good, and he could have been better um, because he wasn't as physical. But what do you really think about that trade now? I mean, maybe it's just because I went back and watched. I'm like, how did we not win a championship with Nash, Marion, Amari, and Diaw on the same team the following year? Because I feel like those four would be able to win a championship now. But I'm just – I mean, what do you think? Is it still a bad trade that the Suns made? No, because, I mean, they were handcuffed, right? I mean, the fact that they they got DL for Jones is impre- – or um, for Jones, for, uh, for Joe Johnson was really yeah. impressive if you think about it because he was a f- restricted free agent that summer. And the previous summer, he had expected like a six-year, $50 million contract with the Suns, which – they didn't sign him to. Sarver just bought the team. Yeah. He, was, he was hesitant to make another splashy uh, acquisition and because he had just committed like $400 million to buy in the Suns. And then between Q Richardson, who was traded for our first-round pick, which was Nate Robinson, to the, uh, to the Knicks for Kurt Frankenstein Thomas. But he just mm-hmm. between Q Richardson and Nash, that previous summer, he'd spent like $110 million. So they weren't looking to re-sign yeah. Joe Johnson. And then they offered him six years, $60 million in the 05 offseason. And that was 30 less than he'd probably be eligible to make. So I have a quote here. Joe, uh, Joe Johnson stated, it's a lot of things. How things were handled with his contract last summer. How things have been handled this summer. 
there's been some things that aren't going great. And I mean, you can't keep a player like that. He's doesn't, he's upset, doesn't want to play. He felt like he was the fourth wheel behind Nash and Marion Marion, which he didn't want. He wanted his own team. And, you know, so essentially the Suns did a sign and trade where they signed him and they dished him over uh, to the Atlanta Hawks. And, you know, they didn't have that much leverage, but they still got Dia out of the deal. And uh, I forget who else they got. I think they got uh, – They got a pick out of they, it. They got two of them. They got a 2006 yeah. first-round pick that became Rajon Rondo and an 08 first-round pick that became Robin Lopez. So they, yeah. got, they got something for him. Considering they didn't have a lot of leverage, they got something for him. And, and to your point, going back and watching Diaw play, Slim Diaw, he wasn't physical. He was finesse, which fit in perfectly with who the Suns were. And it was funny because in that offseason, like what what was Colangelo yeah. doing? He was trying to get more physical, right? He got uh, Kurt Thomas in. He's like, we need to be more physical. We got to match up against the Spurs. And then they get Diaw, who's a big, who's just like pure finesse. And it was really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he would surprise you too. Um, just with the dunks he would make through the lane. Like, cause you would always expect him to either like lay it up or dish it out. That was the thing with Diaw. He would get to the rim and dish it out all the time. And drove everyone crazy because he's right by the rim. Oh, yeah. And he can dunk it because he would fly to the rim, too, and he would surprise you with those dunks because we would never see it. So then when it did happen, it, uh, it surprised everybody. And we're, we always used to ask, even like Tom Leander after the games, like, can you put that in your game? Like, is that something we'll see more down the line? And he's always just like, oh, no, you know, this is just something that, you know, I do once in a while. It's like, you know, th- that, that stuff drives uh, fan nuts. It's when they see the potential like that where you could be more like on Amari and you just decide not to. And he was a great passer. I mean, he won. Um, we'll go the, down the line of the starters and stuff, but yep. he won the most improved player. And it wasn't just because he scored so much because he was so versatile because of the 3D name where he had the 16 points – or sorry, the 13 points, the six rebounds, and six assists, almost seven rebounds, seven assists, but – he seriously, like his all-around game was just perfect, almost like a perfect centerpiece other than Nash mm-hmm. for the Suns. Yep. And, I mean, just the way he could dish the ball just made him so much more versatile than a Kurt Thomas because Kurt Thomas was a rebound guy and, like, I'm just going to foul you, you know? Come in the game, yeah. I'll pick up four fouls, I'm out real quick. Uh, yeah. Some other different uh, off-season transactions that the Suns made at the beginning of the 2005-2006 seasons, uh, they traded Jake Voskel to Charlotte for a second-round pick, and they never received that pick because it was top 55 protected. I think that's yeah. the, same, the same deal they worked out with Amari at the end of his career when they traded him to the Knicks. Uh, they signed Raja Bell, which was really big at the time. And I, I got to ask you this. Did you know who Raja Bell was before he joined the Phoenix Suns? Uh, no, a lot of these players, same thing. So, no, I didn't. I mean, a lot of the guys that would end up on this team, I would have to go back and look up who they played for. Yeah, and he was one of them. Uh, They signed him as a free agent. They signed Pat Burke as a free agent. Eddie House and Brian Grant all came over to the Suns as free agents. Uh, And then they traded a second-round pick to the Pacers for James Jones. So that was James Jones' first introduction to the Suns. He's now the GM. Uh, Later in the season, they traded a second-round pick for – Nikolos Skidishvili. I don't know if you remember him. I just remember I always like saying his name. Skidishvili. I don't remember that guy, actually. I saw, I saw it in the box score. Or not the box score, but like the, actually the roster, roster rundown. I didn't know how to pronounce it. So. <laughs> yeah, Skidishvili. Uh, and then they waved Jim Jackson, who actually yeah. has a vital role in the Suns' playoff run. 
uh, the year before. Yeah. They, they, they yeah, waived really him was. late in the year and signed Tim Thomas, which was vital for the playoff run that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Uh, yeah, if you go back and you see Jim Jackson play, you forget, like, he was actually bigger than I remember. Oh, like, yeah. Like, when he was out there, like, he was almost the same size as uh, Sean Marion, and he had such a nice shot. And him running the offense with Steve Nash, yeah, I thought it was beautiful. I thought it was really nice. But, like, we'll talk about even this season. Like, there's just players that come in, do their best, and then leave and never talked about again. Yeah, and he's one of them because his minutes were gone. You know, he lost yeah. a lot of his minutes to the younger James Jones and kind of what the role of the team was, he didn't fit into it anymore. So, on opening night, November 1st, 2005, here was the Suns' starting five. At point guard, he had Steve Nash. At shooting guard, he had Rajah Bell. At small forward, it was James Jones. At power forward, it was Sean Marion. And at center, it was Kurt Thomas. Mm-hmm. You look at that lineup versus the lineup that the year prior had made the run at the Western Conference Finals, and you have two of the same guys. That's it. Only two. And that is what was so shocking about that offseason, at least for me as a fan, and upsetting was the fact that, yeah, we kept Nash, we kept Mari, we – uh, or we cut Marion and we kept Stoudemire. Yeah. But the, I, I wasn't a big fan of the pieces. We kind of plugged in around it. I thought it was one of those things where, you know, it, if it's don't broke, don't, you know, don't fix it. Yeah. And they tried too hard to fix it. Right. They really did. Um, especially winning 62 games a year before the thing that drives me nuts about this team. And like, even the years before, it's just, how do you not like you see with the Warriors, they keep at least they kept at least five of their best players, like the oh, whole yeah. starting unit together for at least three or four years. And it's like, how do we have these players that are so great that come into our system that we draft or we we get in trades, but then also they just don't like their role and they want to leave like Joe Johnson and Sean Marion. Like it's just you have something here. What is it that we missed that like the Warriors were able to do with their starting five, you know what, to keep them together, to come back every year to win championships. Like, I don't understand where these players end up getting so like upset and just not feeling like they're part of the team. They're not feeling like they can be an all-star, even though they could, if they just all kept playing together. But I don't know. I mean, Joe Johnson went on to be an all-star. He was Mm -hmm. with the Hawks when they went to the playoffs, but, but you already we already knew like he wasn't a leader of the team. Like he was a guy that couldn't carry a team. Of course. I didn't think, I know the Hawks went to the playoffs, but also no one believed in them winning the championship like the Suns, I guess. But um, so yeah, what were we saying? Well, <laughs> well, but, but no, it's like, yeah, exactly. It's like, you have a chance to win a championship here. Like that's not enough. Like you got to be the yeah. guy on a shitty team versus being a role player on a stellar team. And I think that when you look at this Suns lineup, it kind of feels like me, running my fantasy football lineup in like week 11 where I'm just overthinking everything and I'm making dumb transactions and I'm picking up DD Westbrook off of yeah. the waiver wire. Cause I think, I think he's got a good matchup and then I lose my game because of it. Like that's what Suns management did during this time frame is they kept overthinking it so much. And we've talked about yeah. it before. Instead of imposing our will on the NBA, we chose to go the route of trying to beat the Spurs and develop a lineup that could be physical instead of finesse where finesse is where we planted our flag. And that's the lineup you get because of that. And what happens? Players start to get upset about it. Players don't feel like they're part of the team or that they're valued. And it doesn't help that you have Steve Nash, who's an MVP, who's just making, who he's inflating everybody's statistics. He's so good at getting these guys wide open and they're making all these shots. It's like Raja Bell too. I mean, even when he left, you never heard from the guy again. 
because he didn't have Steve Nash passing the ball when he was like wide the freak open. So no, you didn't. But then also you had instances like this year where Sean Marion fills the role of Amari. And he ends up being in the top 20 of like almost every stat imaginable. Oh, oh <laughs> we'll get I mean? to Marion. <laughs> yeah. So you have players like that. And then you forget he's gone in a year and a half from this season. It almost feels like it's like just the start of what some, could be something beautiful. Yes. And it just, it's like, oh, you only have another year and a half after this. Like, okay, great. Thanks. You know, I'm glad we got to enjoy it. So that brings us to the season highlights. And I'm going to go over a few things just to kind of remind everybody of where we were for yeah. that season. Uh, again, clearly Amari was out. He had microfracture knee surgery on October 11th. And it was one week after signing a five-year, $73 million extension. And like the Suns said that they knew about the injury. They just didn't know about the extent of yeah. the injury. And yeah. they, they didn't really know the timetable for return. He returned for three games in March, and they just shut him down for the rest of the season. I can't remember how unbelievably, one, upset I was that he was out, and two, concerned. Because microfracture knee surgery back then, like, they're like, we don't know if he's coming back. Like, we have some of the best doctors, but, you know, fingers crossed, hopefully his career isn't over. Yeah, well, he he got the jumper when he came back. And I feel like he still had the same explosiveness almost. But it's just – it's so sad because you feel like you wouldn't get, like, the peak Amari. You still got a really great Amari, Stoudemire. But it feel, I feel like there was always just something maybe taken away from him. And, of course, his whole – his whole um, career was just shortened by this from the start from yep. when he was only 23, <laughs> he was only yeah. 23 years yeah. old and got this surgery. So, I mean, that's just, uh, it was depressing. And that's why I feel like, like I said, this whole season was basically forgotten about because that was one of the main reasons he was our second best player on the team. So, yep. So Kurt Thomas is the one who comes in and replaces him. And he's okay. He Yay. goes for eight points. Yeah, eight point six points <laughs> per game, seven point eight rebounds per game, and three point six fouls per game. All right, Kurt. <laughs> he didn't even play a full season though. He well, played no, three games. Yeah, because on February sixth, he gets a stress fracture in his right foot, and he plays five more games on the foot, and ultimately he's sidelined for the rest of the season. So he's out now. Yeah, know? and I don't know. He just is some guy that can't even jump over a nickel. So I don't <laughs> understand why he was even. Like, even if he was a defensive guy, like rebounding and stuff didn't help out i mean if he's going to be a good rebounder at least get 10 rebounds a game but it was never there yeah and you look at the season as as a whole despite everything we've talked about despite trading away quentin richardson joe johnson amari's out for the season kurt thomas sucks uh the suns come out of the gate hot you know they post a nine game win streak from november 22nd to december 9th nash goes for 21 points per game and 10 assists per game on 40 or 54 percent shooting including 47% from downtown during that time frame and averages a plus 14.8. And that puts the Suns at 13 and five and the fourth seed. And they're coming out, you know, killing it. And the starting lineup of Nash, Bell, Dial, Marion, and Thomas is used 38 times in the season prior to Thomas hurting himself. And the Suns go 28 and 10 in those games. So, I mean, they're, they're exceeding expectations. You have Steve Nash is now starting to make that case for MVP because listen, he doesn't have anybody anymore. You know what I mean? And yeah. on January 14th, the 24 and 12 Suns move into third in the Western Conference. And that's where they stayed for the rest of the season behind San Antonio and Dallas. So they hugged that, yeah. that three seed all year long. And now we can't even hug like an eight seed. It's just crazy to think that, you know. Yeah, well, 
they also went on a longer win streak too. And I, I know we, I just got done talking a little bit of crap about Tom, uh, Kurt Thomas. And I don't mean to talk crap. I just, I don't like doing that, but it's more about the organization than it is a player. I feel like, but so he goes down with his injury and they're on like, I think it's like 11 game win streak. Yeah. So like towards almost the end of the season and he goes down and they finish out the win streak when he goes down in the middle of that. But then you kind of see towards the end, the Suns will like win a couple games, lose a couple, win a couple, lose a couple, win a couple, lose a couple. Yes. So I feel like they kind of did lose something there with him, of course, being able to take up minutes and take up some body blows and stuff like that, that Sean Marion and Dio had to take after he left. Well, yeah. I mean, if it took away the one physical aspect they had on the team and with Dio playing the four, I mean, I'm sorry, the five, they became that, that finesse team. And they just had a hard time. A finesse team needs rest. And, yeah, you know, this. I guess this will be the, the spot where I just kind of go off on the seven seconds or less era. It was fun going back and watching these games. It was fun to see that quick of pace. I mean, you forget how fast those Suns teams were. They in, they, the team makes a, a basket. They inbound the ball. Steve Nash is at the three-point line within three seconds. I mean, they are pushing the ball. When, right now, I'm used to watching Ricky Rubio kind of take it up. I'm, I'm always, like, watching and being like, Rubio, get over the half-court line because it always yeah. looks like he is going to hit that 16-second mark because he just he takes his time. Those Suns teams were so fast. But what killed those teams was the fact that D'Antoni would play, like, seven players. And when you mm-hmm. have a finesse team like this that is getting their ass kicked down low from time to time, it would just kill it. It would kill. It just it would wear those guys down, man. You know, it just yeah. That's one thing. I going back and and looking at just some of the old box scores. You're like shit. He only used seven players. Look at these guys, man. They're running, sprinting up and down the court, and their whole thing was like, listen, we're just going to be in better shape than you, and that works out fine until you see Steve Nash just get his ass kicked going into the lane, and it's yeah. like, dude, like maybe he probably should take a couple more minutes on the sideline. Yeah, I know. And they never learned their lesson, no matter how many seasons D'Antoni was with the Suns. It was always that way. And when you watch the games from back then, it's like the Suns had their own kind of triangle offense where it would be like the guy inbounding the ball would be on the left side by the three-point line. Then he would inbound or throw it to somebody at the half court and then relate to somebody else on the other side on the three-point line. So it always is like you just continual flow of the ball. Like they just kept moving it up there. But also, too, with how fast they look, it has to do too with the other teams not playing the same kind of ball. Cause you know, everyone now in the NBA plays the same kind of ball. Yeah. Yeah. And now the Rockets went up another notch, but back then, like these guys look in the plus their jerseys, everything looked a lot bigger. Maybe that was why they looked so much faster. I don't know. Cause there was saggier pants and they saggier were, clothes. It, it was know. flowing in the wind. Yeah. That might've been something. So, so, but back to the season, the Suns are 37 and 17 with when Kurt Thomas goes down for the year. And they need to improvise, and they choose six foot eight Borsti out the center spot. And you know the Suns did it long before the Rockets did, I guess. You know, six foot eight center. You know, they the Suns were ahead of the yeah. curve by about fourteen years. And then that's when they signed Tim Thomas, and he comes in, he plays the three, and he's flip flopping with him and James Jones uh, for the starting spot the rest of the year. And you know, this is also the one season I forgot. This is the only season that Eddie House played for the team, and it's so memorable. Because, like, he played, what, 81 games. So he played yeah. nearly every game. Averaged 9.8 points per game. And his, thir- his per 36 scoring was 20.2 points per game, which was the best on the team for per 36. And I loved oh, Eddie okay. House, man. I absolutely loved Eddie House. Did you, were you a fan? I was a fan. Um, 
I don't know. I wasn't the biggest fan like a lot of people were. I mean, it was fun, but then it's just like you get these guys, and I was just trying to look up. I'm like, what did he even play when he was with the Suns in the playoffs? Was he actually playing minutes, like oh, crucial no, not really. minutes to come <laughs> <No>. <laughs> in? Yeah, so it's just like that's why, that's why I was kind of like – and the same thing with James Jones. Like he, he played pretty good. He made some big shots in some of like the game, the game seven against the Lakers, uh, made, made some good threes. But I feel like he was still flippy-floppity between him and uh, Tim Thomas, where Tim Thomas was actually the better of the two – ended up starting like the last 11 games of the postseason. So it's just like great shooters, great players to watch when you have the lead, when you can give somebody a little bit of time, a little bit of a break. But when it came down to crucial moments in the game, I know Eddie House isn't that person, but I'm just saying Eddie was great to come in for the regular season. But when it came to the playoffs, I don't feel like he helped out the team that much. No, he didn't, but he was – but he was sure fun to watch during the regular season. Yeah, he was. You need those guys. You need those guys to get you through the regular season. You know, and he would come in, he would just jack up a million threes and he'd hit the whole place would just start bumping and it was fun to watch. Yeah. It's fun to watch. But even like in the playoffs, so I mean he played like what ten minutes a game. So I mean that's just Mike D'Antoni too. So Well, exactly. D'Antoni just compressed that bench, man, to where yeah, nobody else was playing, it felt like. And Eddie House would have been a good guy to spell Nash and get him some more rest, man. Just keep shooting. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, both Nash and Marion made the all-star team in 2006. Yeah. And Nash on the season started 79 games, had a career-high 18.8 points per game, led the league with 10.5 assists per game, career-high 4.2 rebounds per game, led the NBA with 92.1% from the line, had a career-high in minutes per game, which I have a problem with, uh, all-NBA first team, and won the league MVP for the second straight year. Second place, take a guess. Who, was, who came in second in 2005 and six? MVP for, bo- for MVP, MVP bo- voting. Oh, um, was this, it wasn't Shaq that year, was it? No, no. Shaq at this point. Oh, was that the year before? Shaq had moved on from uh, the Lakers and was playing with Miami. Yeah, because I know like the – okay. So, but I know Shaq I thought was in the running still that year. But who was it, Tim Duncan? No, it was LeBron James. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah, LeBron came in second, Nowitzki came in third, and Kobe came in fourth. Oh, wow. Okay, so I did. I thought Shaq was like a close second that year. No, no, no. He was, he was past okay. his prime at this point. So, okay. And then you look at Sean Marion, and this is, without a doubt, Sean Marion's best year in the league. Yes. It's because a lot was asked for him. And in my opinion, this is what most likely planted the seed of resentment for him. He thought, you know, hey, I can go anywhere and I can be the number two, if not the number one guy. Therefore, I should be paid like the number two or one guy and treated like the number two or one guy. But you look at his statistics. And in my opinion, like Steve Nash won the league MVP. I don't think he was the MVP on the team. I really don't. Look at this. Career high, 21.8 for Sean Marion that year in points. 15th in the league. Yeah. Career high, 11.8 rebounds, which was third in the league. Two steals a game, which was fifth in the league. 52.5% shooting, which was 11th in the league. He was the February NBA Player of the Month, third team All-NBA for the second straight year, 10th in the MVP uh, voting. And fun fact, according to Basketball Reference, the Matrix has a 75.6% chance of making the Hall of Fame. Why is he not in the Suns Ring of Honor again? Can you remind me? Probably because of the way it ended, right? 
maybe because he's hanging out with the dallas mavericks all the time now i know he won a championship (laughs) there but he's always with mark cuban maybe that's something to do with it i just saw him on quentin richardson's podcast the other day you know oh did you yeah so i mean yeah i don't know why he's not i mean he should be um i i feel like they're kind of running out of room there but um also (laughs) too like just some other stats that stick out for him man like 17th in the league i know it's kind of high but with blocks with 1.7 per game that's impressive man but then also the minutes per game man the 40.3 40.3 minutes, seventh in the league. It's crazy. I know we needed it because Amari was out. And then also Kurt Thomas was out too. So we had no other choice. And I keep thinking about it. It's like we only had another year and a half with him. Like what the and this I is know, the season. Man. You're right. This is the season where he's like, I can be the guy. I didn't and he made third team all NBA. I don't believe he was MVP, but he could have probably made at least second team, I feel like, that year with the stats he put up on that team. I just I don't that I think that was one of his things where he thought he deserved better or or was it the all defensive team? Cause I I don't know if he made the first all defensive team or second that year. I forget. I have to look it up, but yeah, I'd have to look it up too. But I mean, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, if you look behind me, I've got a Sean Marion Jersey hanging up and I absolutely love the guy because of his versatility, because of who he was, and how he played and the attitude in which he did it. And again, things didn't always work out at the end for the Suns. But this season right here is the reason I loved him. Because the Suns were fucked. I mean, we, we said at the beginning, right? Like, they weren't going to do anything. There was no expectations for this team because of all of the things that had – all the X factors. We don't know what who Raja Bell is. Boris Diaw? How do I say that? Diaw? You know, like – but his first name is Boris and he's from France. Like this guy's on our team now. Like you had yeah. no idea. And Amari's out. Like we had no idea what to expect from this team. And Sean Marion was more than just the glue when it came to this team. He was everything for this team, man. The points, the rebounds, the clutch shots, the, the three pointers, the, the pick and roll him and Nash running the pick and roll was art. It looked better than yeah. Amari in my opinion. But the thing what I always remember is Marion, I feel like did get everything he deserved. I feel like he got the credit he deserved. A lot of people were Marion fans. A lot of people love Marion. A lot of people won't say that Nash was their favorite. They're like, Marion was my favorite for the same reasons that you just said. It's like, wasn't that enough though? It's like, you can, you can either like be humble and be like, this is who I am. This is the player I am and I'm getting the respect I deserve. But obviously he didn't feel that way. But, like, why couldn't it be, like, a Clay Thompson or, like, even a Draymond Green? I know I went back to the Warriors again, but besides Draymond Green, but maybe Clay Thompson, just someone who just goes and plays, and he just is a killer. He's a guy you fear, like people feared Sean Marion. And he got the respect, and he always had the respect. But, no, you're number two. You're number two to Durant. You're number two to Stephen Curry. And then you're number two, for Sean Marion's case, to Steve Nash, because Steve Nash is the MVP. Mm-hmm. And Amari is the second best player because he can actually dribble the ball. He can actually back someone down. He can dunk it on somebody after making a few moves. Like those are things that Marion couldn't do. And I think those are the things that stood out to more of fans and NBA fans to where if you're not like post, I don't know, if you don't really have a game where you can, where you have good like ball handling skills, I feel like people notice that. And that was one thing Marion didn't have. And he did dunk, of course, but there were like breakaway dunks or if he could beat a guy off the dribble maybe. But I don't know. I just think there's things in his game that didn't stand out to regular NBA fans and uh, like a fan like myself to where he would make make him my favorite. But I think Steve Nash just – he had all that and Amari had all that to be stars. 
And Marion was a star if he would have probably stayed with us for another four or five years, which did not happen, of course. But I don't know. I, I just always have a, a weird feeling about Marion where I didn't trust him with the ball. I mean, I didn't trust him on a shot. So there's just things that I trusted Amari and Nash with more. That's why they were my favorite. Well, that's what they were. he was talking about with Quentin Richardson on his podcast the other day was they were talking about his jump shot. And Quentin Richardson's like, man, you had an ugly jump shot. Yeah. And, you know, but, and, but Mary made a good point. He's like, yeah, but it went in. And Richardson's yeah. like, well, yeah, they couldn't leave you, could they? He's like, yeah, you don't leave me wide open. And, you know, I, I get what you're saying and because it ended the way it did. But I just think that Sean Marion, you know, I got to give him his respect. He was just such – in a time when the Suns needed him more than ever, he stepped up and just balled out. You know, yeah. you, you look at that, that season. I'm looking at the uh, all-defensive teams that year. He didn't make the first or second team. Here's who made he the first. Any. Yeah, here, here's the first team, okay? Kobe Bryant and Jason Kidd tied at guard. You had Ben Wallace at center. Andre Kirilenko, Bruce Bowen, and Meta World Peace was the first team. And the second team was Chauncey Billups, Marcus Camby, Tim Duncan, Kevin Garnett, Tayshawn Prince. So I get that, I guess. But here's where we were talking about a little bit earlier, okay? So he made the third team All-NBA that season. Here are the forwards who made the second team. It was Elton Brand and Tim Duncan. And then first team was LeBron and Dirk. Yeah. I could see him getting second team over Elton Brand. Elton Brand had a career year that year. Yeah, he put up some great numbers. Yeah, so. he put up some great numbers. But I feel like Sean Marion did more. Just No, he did. Yeah. In my humblest of Sean Marion opinions. Yeah. No, he definitely did. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's enough for Marion, I guess. <laughs> Again, yeah. So, I just, yeah. <laughs> so, the, so the Suns finish 54 and 28 which was good for uh first in the pacific and even though dallas had a better record suns got the number two seed and dallas actually yeah. ended up with the number four seed and i i hated that rule where it's like listen you might have had the second best record but because you know uh you weren't a division winner you get the four seed which is crap and i'm glad they changed that rule but the Suns ended with the best offense in the league. San Antonio had the number one seed, and it felt like a rematch of the 2005 Western Conference Finals was in the cards. And then the playoff run begins. And in the first round, the Suns catch the number seven-seeded Los Angeles Lakers, who had beat uh, – I'm sorry, who the, the Suns had beat 3-1 to one in the regular season. And yeah. this, this was the year of Kobe. Kobe went 34 – I'm sorry, 35.4 points per game that year. It's the ninth – best scoring season in NBA history. And it was also the final year that he wore number eight. And this is the first time he didn't have Shaq next to him. Maybe it was the second year. I don't recall. I think it was after they, the Lakers lost to the, uh, the Pistons. Yeah. So this, yeah. So they lost to the Pistons in the 2005 NBA finals. Shaq goes off to Miami. Kobe's got the team by himself and he only gets to the seventh seed and scores 35.4 points per game. Mm -hmm. So and that's something you see like in this series too. I mean, a few games he tried to make it like a a memorable, you know, one of those uh, ESPN classic games. Well, he got one of them. He got one of them, but it wasn't a win. Uh, but yeah, game one, I mean, we pick up Tim Thomas. Yes. He he ends the season with basic numbers, but he comes in with a sweet stroke this whole this whole series, man. Where first game one, he's four for five from three, which is five threes is a lot for back then, I guess. Oh, you yeah. know, five to seven is a lot. So 22 points, 15 rebounds. Um, so, I mean, they go up strong in this game, man. So they're up like 39-29. Um, but then they only score like 36 in the next two quarters. But then yeah. finish strong with 32 points. 
but it was kind of an all-around game. Uh, you can see in the series too uh, for the next three series where Marion gets off to like a slow start and kind of finishes slow a little bit. But um, yeah, anyways, but game two, they end up losing. And that's kind of like the way these series go, win, loss, win, loss. So. Well, here's what's interesting about this series is they drop the next three straight to the Lakers. The yeah. Lakers score 99 in the next three games though. So they lose game two, yeah, 93. <laughs> then they lose game three, 99 to 92. And then game four, 99 to 98 in overtime. And th- this, is the, this is the Kobe game, okay? This is the Suns had a chance to win game four. They're up five with 12 seconds left. They botched the final possession when they inbound the ball. Uh, it's stolen. Nash is kind of flailing around a little bit. And Kobe makes the game tie and layup, yeah. with, layup with 0.7 seconds left. And it goes to OT. And then in OT with the Suns up one, uh, Nash is forced into a trap, and it's a, it's called a jump ball. So the tip goes to L.A. Kobe gets the ball, goes to the right elbow, and just hits the dagger as time expires. Yeah. Throws the, the fist pump, and, you know, you're just like, shit. Shows it's, us his titty. Yeah, that's when he – yeah, he shows us the titty. Uh, the famous yeah. titty shot from, uh, from Kobe. And you think the series is over. I mean, they're down 3-1. I mean, I yeah. think at that point only eight teams in NBA history had come back from 3-1. And you're just like, well, crap. Okay, I get it. You know. Well, how did you feel though? What back then? Did you feel like it was over? I did back then. I felt weird about it. Yeah, I I I didn't have much expectations for this team. I'm like, okay, we finally get to the playoffs. And like you said, they limped into the playoffs. They had 37 wins when Tim or when uh, Kurt Thomas went out. They ended with 54. So they ended up. They ended the season. I don't have the number. I can try to do quick math, but I'm drinking. So cheers. Uh. You know, but. uh, uh, but they limped into the playoffs. LA had a little momentum behind them. And then Kobe hits that dagger, and you're like, this is over, man. But then game five happens, and the Suns beat them by 17. Yeah, and it was, it was weird because you would think maybe Kobe would go off. Uh, I know they're back in Phoenix. So you think maybe Kobe would go off this game, you know, to try to end it, but he doesn't. He waits till the next game. But in this game, he has 29 points and he shoots 60%, which is a great game. That's like yeah. a Devin Booker game right there. And uh, but the Suns they get like twenty plus points from Marion Nash and Diaw, which is needed because I feel like they've always needed like that twenty points from at least three or four of their starters. Yep. Um, but they just play a complete game um, all around. I feel like from each quarter, and but then they go to Game Six. Oh yeah, tell me about Game Six, man. This is a classic Suns game. If you have not watched this game, folks, look it up on YouTube. This is one of the classic big shots ever. Big shot. <laughs> okay, so you're saying there's a big shot in this game in game six? Hell yeah. Okay, so wait, Kobe shoots 35 times, gets 50 points. I, from what I had in my notes, I, I didn't actually watch this game. Oh, I was man. saying, like, this is the game where Kobe shoots and scores 50, but then the press are all on him because he's shot too much. And, like, hey, you're going to pass the ball. So who hit a big shot in this game? What was it? Raja Bell, man. He had a big shot on Kobe when he clotheslined him, dude. Oh, the biggest what? shot ever. Yeah, this is the clothesline game, man. Yeah, I know it's a clothesline game, but what what shot though? Okay, okay. So we, this, oh, yeah, 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 I don't think you got this one right. Okay, so the Suns are down 3-2. And yeah. the Suns give up 37 points in the first quarter and end up leading by three at halftime, right? Kobe puts the Lakers up by three with 29.3 seconds to go. Nash drives down the lane, fumbles the ball, gets it back, throws a shitty pass to Barbosa. He gets it back to Nash in the corner, who bricks a three. Marion gets the most important offensive board of the season for the Suns. 
hits Tim Thomas. He pump fakes. Kwame Brown goes flying through the air uh, and then hits a dagger three with 6.3 seconds left. And it's, it, it forces it to, to overtime. And then the Suns outscore the Lakers by eight in over, overtime, forcing game seven. But it was a huge shot by oh, Tim Thomas. Yeah. And, 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 yeah, I mean, the question, I guess, and they're even asking it on the broadcast when you watch it, is why don't the Lakers foul? They're up three. Mm-hmm. The Suns are one of the best three-point shooting teams in the NBA. Like, foul them. Like, Nash got a clean shot, and he just bricked it. And then Tim Thomas, I mean, you got – it's just pump fake, Kwame Brown flying, and just cool, calm, collected, nails yeah. that three, forces game seven. Okay, so the clothesline game, that was the game before, though, right? No, no, that was, that was game six, too. Oh, because wasn't Roger Bell just – Oh, no, no, you're right, you're right, game you're six? right. It was game five. No, you're yeah, because right. I remember the Suns won when Roger Bell clothesline, but I remember he was suspended one game, but I thought that was game six. And I told – how do I miss – because the whole Tim Thomas thing, I feel like blurs from – the Lakers series and the Clippers series. So I know he had some big shots. I thought against the Clippers, but I totally forgot against the Lakers. Yeah, because that I, I, I didn't get to rewatch this one. That was the season right there. Because if he doesn't make that shot, if they do foul and it goes into the free throw game or whatever, the Suns are down three yeah. two. The Lakers win four two. So he hits that Jeez. three. The Suns survive, and then Game Seven happens, which I'll never forget because I was down there on Jackson's on third. Me and my friends went down to watch game seven against the Lakers and we saw a different Kobe, you know, the aftermath of game six was people were criticizing Kobe for how much he shot the ball. He had 50 points in game six, but he had 35 of the team's 85 attempts. And I was going back and I was reading some old articles on ESPN and even they were like kind of criticizing Kobe. It's like, Hey man, you know, like get the team involved. So game seven, the Suns come out hot and they're leading 32 to 15 after one. Me and my friends are drinking at a bar because that's what you used to do when the Suns used to go to the playoff games. You'd go to the bar and watch them and enjoy a couple alcohol. Yeah. Ever, you know, oh. Kobe drops 18 in the second quarter and he's trying to get them back into it. And they're still trailing by 15 at halftime. And then Kobe scores one point in the second half, had an offensive rating of 90.4 and a defensive rating of 124.1. He just yeah. didn't give a shit in the second half. Suns killed Lakers by 31 and yeah. advanced to the Western Conference semis. But so if you just watch this game, game seven, I watched this game because I wanted a good game to watch. That's a great game for the Suns. Yeah, it's funny. I watched this one, not the one before. But if you watch it, you see the team he has, Kobe. And it's like, oh, like they lost because of his team and like how bad they were. But you wouldn't think that from the other games before where the Suns should have been out of this. They should have never gone to game seven. Yeah, but um, you would just think by looking at the roster and watching them play, it's like, oh, no wonder Kobe's given up. But it was, I think it was like a combination, though. I think it was the press talking about passing the ball because he was very passive, and he was very passive even in the first quarter. I think he had two points in the first, one point in the second half. Yeah, one that's point it. In the that's second it. Half. And I think it was more for me. I thought maybe it was just like this team. He thought was not going to make it. There's no way they're going to win the next series. I kind of felt like maybe he pulled back a little bit because of that reason too, do you think? Or that's not kind of Kobe. That's not the kind of Kobe we remember, right? Well, Where he would just give up because his team's terrible. But I mean, there's the Mamba mentality that everybody talks yeah. about. but He didn't have it in that game. But the press laid it to him. Yeah, it was so weird. They really gave him a lot of shit. And he, like, people have talked about it. Like, Kobe came out. He tried. He, you know, he, he focused. He tried. And his team was sucking around him again. He just, yeah. he, he had one point and one assist in the second half like that's it like Kobe just didn't give a shit no more the Suns no don't get me wrong the Suns forced that his hand yeah they, they came they, out they, hot they, the they, half. they took Kobe Bryant to a point where he was just like I'm done 
Yeah. And that was awesome. <laughs> it, it's great. I mean, he helped us win. I just feel like, because we always fear Kobe, even like the years to come and like game six against him to go to the finals. Oh, yeah. Like he just kills us. He can't the stop. Bu- the butt slap. Yeah, the butt yeah. slap game. Ugh. So I, it, it was kind of a mixture for me watching this game because I just remember the press so much. But then I was looking at his face and I was like, I think he just thinks, you know, the way I'm watching it now is like, these players aren't that good. They're missing these wide open threes, these wide open shots they have. I have Luke Walton taking the ball to the hoop. It's just, it's, <laughs> Kwame it's, nothing, Brown. it's nothing very sexy. It's a very terrible looking play. So I don't know. I feel like it was half and half on that, man. No, I, I agree with you there. And then they go on and they play the Los Angeles Clippers. So it was Los yeah. Angeles Lakers. You're not going very far. Staples Centers is where you're still going to have to play. And they were the number six seed coming off upsetting Carmelo Anthony and the number three seed Denver Nuggets. Uh, They were led by Elton Brand that year, who had a career-high 24.7 points per game, which was 11th best in the league. And they also had Corey Maggette, Sam Cassell, Katino Mobley, and Chris Kamen, who my friends and I used to always call the caveman because he looked like a Geico commercial That was his nickname, though. Yeah, the caveman. And it was their first playoff appearance since 1997. They led the league in shot blocking, and the Suns and the uh, the Clips split the regular season two to two. So the Suns come out, they win game one by eight, and game two goes to the Clippers as they wall up the Phoenix Suns by 25. And that's a game where they out rebounded the Suns by 31 rebounds, like 31 yeah. rebounds. You like some teams don't get that in a game. Like they were out rebounded by. Yeah. That. Well, that was like. And this is – I already have two strikes. If anybody's counting, if you're watching this, there's two strikes on me because I thought this – I'm confusing the series because I was like, oh, yeah, the Lakers and Suns, they go back and back. Um, you know, win-loss, win-loss. <laughs> this is actually the win-loss, win-loss. Yes, and usually this is the win-loss, yeah. Yeah, and, like, the losses, you'll go down each game. It's just the rebounds. Every time the Suns got yes. out-rebounded by 20-plus rebounds, they would lose. So that was really the story of the series. But, I mean, they come out and win game one. Yeah. And Elton Brandon and Sam Cassell, they go off in this game. Brand had 40 and Dude, Cassell Sam, had 28. Cassell went off the whole damn series. I remember he, how he really did, yeah. frustrated I was with him because he kept doing the pump fake. He would pump fake guys, get them in the air, and then jump into them. And that's like what he did the entire series. Yeah. And it's just, you know, when you see it in game one and game two, you're like, oh, okay. By game six, you're just like, dude, F this guy. Like, every time we fall for it, come on now. And he came mm-hmm. out hot in the first quarter of that game two game where he had 13 points. And the Clips outscored the Suns by 16. So after coming out and winning game one, by halftime of game two, you were just asking the bartender for a shot of Jameson and be like, yo, this game's over. And, you know, I mean, yeah, it was a whoop. Killed him by 25. So game three, yeah, the game was point, over. you know, they, the Suns bounced back in LA. Marion has 32 and 19 in his game, and Tim Thomas has 19 and 14. I mean, again, Tim yeah. Thomas just coming up huge. Yeah, he was. And if you watch him, and I know they always do this thing like Bill Simmons or Ring or whatever. If you were watching a game and you watched Tim Thomas play and you told someone, like, oh, yeah, this guy only has 11 points, five rebounds or whatever per game his whole career. It's yeah. like this guy, like he is bigger than Amari. He had great moves, had a great jump shot, could shoot the three, of course. But it's just like, what is – I think it's just his mind – I mean, he was so busy with everything around the NBA and his social life, probably something like that. I don't know. I'm just making excuses, but I just feel like he could have been so great. Cause when you watch him, it's like, this guy can dominate, but he just never had it in him. He's one of the few guys bad. who actually wore an armband on his bicep. And yeah, it said, I noticed that. and it said TT too. So he had titty on his armpit or on his, on his bicep. And it was just yeah. one of the few guys who did that. Maybe that's where his, uh, his power came from was like Samson's hair. It was Tim Thomas's <laughs> bicep 
uh, armband, but it, I mean, yeah, looked that great. It might have been. It. It been yeah. I don't know. But game four, the Suns fight back from a 13 point deficit and they get it to 106 to 105 with a buck 12 left in the game. And then the Clippers just outscore the Suns eight to two to end that game. So that's a, that was a frustrating loss. So the that's series, game four. Yeah, that's game four. Oh, yeah. And then game five, series tied two to two, another Suns playoff classic. One of those great ones you can go back on YouTube and watch. One of those great games that I did go back and watch. Matthew, did you watch this game? I didn't watch it, but I got a question. Is God this the one where Sam, Sam Cassell, is this the one where he has the eight-second violation that costs yes. him the series? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, because I was like, yes. this, I remember that was an overtime game, but I didn't know if it was this one. But that was, that cost the, the Clippers the game. I swear it did. I just remember at that time, and if I went back to watch it, like you well, did. The best part is he's smiling like an asshole. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. And he's, he's, like, oh. he's looking yeah. at Rajah Bell, and they show him. They do a close-up of his face. He's smiling, looking like E.T. And then all of a sudden, they blow the whistle, yeah. and he looks like, you know, his world ended. So yeah. a, couple, a couple things. I went back and watched this game. One thing that I noticed is they kept referring to the fact that Nash hadn't hit a three since game one, which just blew my mind. I was like, what? Nash hadn't? So, you know, Nash was looking tired in this game. That's one thing I really oh. – uh, I really noticed in this game, that's why I talked about it earlier, because between watching this and then a game in the next series against Dallas, Nash just looked beat, man. He, yeah. D'Antonio rode him into the ground, man. He'll, he even says that, too. He looks he like, at the end of these series, every year, he looks like Tom Petty. Like, every year, he <laughs> yeah. looks like Tom Petty. Like, after, you know, an overdose or something. Like, <laughs> he looks exactly like him, man. I mean, and he just – they talk about it in this game. It's like Nash is saying that he's missing all these threes because his legs are gone. It's like, yeah. yeah. And, 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 I mean, he had control when he would go down the lane. And, you know, he used to do this kind of loop-around move but he used to just go into the lane a lot, jump up in the air and throw it to a guy. And he turned the ball over a lot. I was like, I, he did. I, I don't remember that as much, but he was getting his ass kicked. I mean, he'd go up, yeah. he, he'd go in there and guys would be pushing him all over the place. And I just, I still don't know why D'Antoni didn't give Eddie house like three more minutes a game and let Nash sit on the bench a little bit more. So, but anyways, well, yeah, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, if you look at the box score and you look at the minutes and if it's like, you don't even look at the score of the game. If you look at the minutes and like the sun starting lineup has 36 minutes, like per game or in that game that means they lost by like 20 yeah they wouldn't get a rest so they were getting their butts beat or else they were up by 50 so yeah. i don't know i just it drove me crazy man oh, you and me both man i mean they were just so tired so watch i watched this game from start to finish so mary did uh, i did i was just, i was super super excited i remember this one and i remember it meant, meant a lot to me when it happened uh but yeah. marion's versatility he was guarding sam cassell and chris Kamen throughout the game and that just showed that you know he could guard anybody which was uh, just really fun. Na again, as I mentioned, Nash was doubled on every possession. And the Suns were up by 19 in the third. And this is another one of those problems I have with the seven seconds or less era. We used to give up leads like it was nothing because we wouldn't stop shooting. And I get that that's what the mentality was of the Suns at the time. But when yeah. you're up like six or 19 in the third quarter, and it was like three minutes left in the third quarter, you think they'd kind of slow it down and maybe just run some high pick and rolls with 10 seconds left and try to kill a little clock? Like, why didn't they ever do that? Um, honestly, I don't really agree too much with you on that just because that's the way they played. I feel like when you practice it and you're doing a 24 seven, there's no other way to play. And they would even bleed it onto the bench with point guards like Barbosa that couldn't handle it later on. I, I, I don't know if it was this, maybe it was this season. Barbosa did improve, but I guess they kind of dumbed it down a little bit, but Barbosa, Barbosa played like the two guard most of the year. Yeah. But then also 
they had dudes coming in like Eddie House or whatever trying to fill a role of Steve Nash. I feel like it was more like if you can get the second unit in there, you know, to slow it down, play their game, that would be cool, but that never happened. It's just I feel like when you play that much that way, you have to keep going no matter what. I, that's just their philosophy, man. So I think that's why it was. The way it was. I, I feel like it cost them games overall. Yes. Because it, it let teams back in it, you know, and you see that all the time in the NBA now because everybody shoots a three all the time. But a lot of teams at least wait until there's under 10 seconds and the seven seconds or less era, they just didn't let it happen. And because of yeah. that, you know, the, the Clippers come marching back in the fourth quarter and the, uh, you know, again, I wrote down my notes, pump faking Sam Cassell. God, he used to drive me crazy. Uh, one thing that they mentioned on the broadcast that the Suns had only won one game that had a three-point spread all season, which is kind of crazy. They either, like, got their ass kicked or did some ass, uh, ass, ass kissing, ass kicking. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then Cassell ties the game up with uh, a big three with 39 seconds left. Marion takes the first Suns free throws of the second half after a hard foul. They have this, you know, he hits the three. Nash chucks it like a quarterback. Marion gets it, gets hit really hard. I remember this because it looked a lot like Joe Johnson the year before. Not as violent, but, I mean, still, like, it was a pretty violent play. Uh, no te- no uh, technical, no flagrants. He goes 0 for 2 from the line. And then th- that's when the famous Cassell eight-second violation happens because they're up three. He's just got to dribble it up the court, run a play, and it's over. Uh and then Nash misses a three with nine seconds left. Cassell misses as well. And then they uh, go to OT. And I'm sorry, the Cassell three tied the game at that point. So Nash, oh, okay. had, and Nash has two big turnovers late in the overtime. And they're down three with 3.6 seconds left. And this is the Bell three. He has one of the toughest threes I've ever seen. He comes off a screen, hits the corner. The ball's thrown at him. He just turns and chucks it. And there's a guy in his face. Yeah. And just nothing but net. One of the most amazing yeah, shots. I, I know. That. I know exactly where I was when that shot happened. The whole bar just went completely banana dog shit crazy with that shot. I was high fiving guys I'd never met before. We became best friends. Nowadays, <laughs> you know, it's it's social distancing, so you know, it's like you have to do like an elbow from like seven feet away or whatever. And then the Suns end up closing them out in double overtime and tie the series, or I'm I'm sorry, go up on the series three to two. So, dude, that um. All these threes, all these clutch shots, it just reminds me of just watching the Jordan doc where they had so many clutch shots from everybody. Like, it's like this whole this whole postseason, there were so many shots. It's like either you make it or you go home. Basically, you make it, you stay home. And that's the way it was almost yeah. like the playoffs, dude. You just forget until you rewatch them and you hear about them. So it's crazy to think about it, dude. Oh, such a great shot. So, again, if you get a chance, go back and watch that one. And then game six, of course. You know, Clippers come back out, tie. Win. You know, probably get more I mean, rebounds. I don't even have to look. More rebounds. Yeah, yeah, more rebounds. <laughs> I'll rebound them yeah. clearly, easily. Duh. You know, and then Game Seven. That's yeah. another Game Seven for the Suns against a Los Angeles team. You know, it's like, oh man, I feel like we just went through this like two and a half weeks ago. Uh, but the Suns again. You know, they come out victorious over the, uh, yeah. the Clippers in a great game. Wasn't really much doubt I feel on that game either. So. You have anything on Game Seven? No. no, it was just it was a cruising win. They just went right through them like they do in Game Sevens. For some reason, it's like they come into Game Seven and they're gonna win. They struggle the whole series basically, and then Game Seven is just an easy breezy win. Yep, too easy, too easy. Drink some more of this beer here. Mm. Yeah, me too. 
So who do they get? They get the Western Conference Finals, and everybody thinks it's going to be Phoenix, and it's going to be San Antonio, and, you know, round two of the battle from the last year's Western Conference Finals. And Dallas upsets the Spurs in the semifinals in uh, game seven as well. And, you know, right here, it's hard because you don't know if this is Pete Nowitzki because his peak kind of went on for a few seasons, but he had a monster year that year. Nowitzki had yeah. his highest points per game was that year. I think his second or third highest rebounds per game. And he was just unstoppable. It's back when he had like the long hair, but not like, not like Steve Nash era long. Like it was cut up. Just, it was trimmed just nice. You know, Dirk was looking good back in the 05-06 season. And this is a team that the Suns had split the regular season series with as well. And they come out and, and, uh, and have a great fourth quarter in game one. And they beat Dallas 121 to 118. And this is one of those games where the pick and roll with Nash and Marion is just working to perfection again. The, uh, the Mavericks are having a hard time defending Marion. And then Diaw hits a game winner with 0.5 seconds left. And it's just great, unbelievably great game for the Suns, except for one thing. What happens to Raja Bell in the fourth? The same, what happens? The same thing that plagued them all year. He goes down with a slight tear in his left calf muscle. And you're like, mm-hmm. ah, shit. What happens? You know, <laughs> here we go again, you know, a freaking. Is that where he was? Yeah. When, when I rewatched it, because I rewatched uh, game six, the fourth quarter. I'm like, yeah, he comes, he, 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 well, he comes back later in the series. But, yeah. but that, you know, game, game two, he's not there. Bar- Barbosa's starting and goes three yeah. for 15 from the field. In, uh, in the game two, you know, Maring has 19 points, 19 boards, and the Suns are actually up two entering the fourth quarter. But Nash goes one for one from the field with one assist. Dirk goes four for six for with uh, 12 points and five boards. And they killed, they end up, you know, killing the Suns by I think eight points, you know? So, I mean, game two, here we go again. Then game three, the Suns lose 95 to 88. And think about that, man. A seven seconds or less team that only had 88 points. Yeah, well, the thing is, we even touched on it. It's just being tired. When you have, like, exactly. your players. You, okay, so the way they won the series before was really – the two series before was, you know, you get your guys to at least around 20 points, your, your three or four starting, like, your best players. Uh, so you come in here, you're down one, two. Oh, I'm sorry. Actually, is this – are we talking about game four? No, this is game three. We're not even at four yet. Oh, okay. So the, the Suns are down two to one. After oh, I went too game. far. My beard. Um, <laughs> so, but they're sorry. tired. They're tired in this game. Now, now Bell's out. Now you have to compensate for another guy being out for the second straight game. And they're just done. You know, I mean, Marion only has 10 points. He has 18 boards, but Marion only has, you know, 10 points in this game. And the Suns just don't look good on offense. They, they're, they're shooting 42% from the field. They're getting out-rebounded. They're, get, they're uh, turning the ball over more. You know, it's just it's a team that's tired at this point, and you're starting to see it with their performance now in the Western Conference Finals for the second year in a row. Yeah, and even for them to get to Game Six in the series um, didn't seem probable. Just when you watch the Mavericks, their size, and like you said, they they out rebounded the Suns most of the series, but not by a whole lot. But like yeah. just a second, like they had these big like Diop was it Diop that was in there for the Mavericks. Just like big dudes yes, that would just yeah. come in there, and not even know how to play basketball. I feel like, but just you know, grab the ball because you had Diaw against them. Like Diaw is five or six inches shorter than this dude, so just go out there and like get the get the second chance rebound, 
or else just get the rebound and push the ball up the court. But they were just bigger than the Suns. I just remember them just being huge compared to what the Suns were. And then you had Nowinski. I don't know how many times I saw it in the fourth quarter in the game six. He just where he would have the switch, the switches he had, where it would yes. be Steve Nash would come up on him. He just did whatever he wanted, and uh, not, not that he made every shot, but he did. He did kill him, and you can tell even in the fourth quarter in these games, the Suns were doing that thing like you said, where Steve Nash would go up in the air and just turn the ball over, like throwing yeah. the ball away uncharacteristically but he was just so exhausted well game four was the last bright spot of the season because Raja Bell comes back he's not overly affected or effective but uh, he comes back Barbosa scores 24 points off the bench and what helped the Suns big time in that game is Nowitzki had a horrible shooting night he went three for 13 from the field and the Suns win by 20 you know the game is now now it's tied it's 2-2 and it's like okay there's some hope maybe we have a shot at the finals here and that's where everything yeah. kind of compounds itself. You know, game five, the Suns lose by 16. They shoot 35% from the field in the fourth quarter, whereas the Mavs shoot 55%. Dirk has 22, and the Mavs have a monster fourth, and they put the Suns away. And, you know, 22 points for Dirk in the fourth. And, and that's what they did. You nailed it on the head, is they took advantage of switches. And it's one thing that I noticed at the end of a Clippers game, I think it was the game five that I was talking about that I watched, where – Nash was doing a lot of switches and getting on the guy that he wanted. Uh, and they didn't do that a lot. They didn't do a lot of switch. They do high pick and rolls, but they weren't pick and rolls to create mismatches. They were pick and rolls to drive to the hoop and give the three options. And those three options were Nash could, you know, do the under, underhand shot and put it in yeah. or he could dish it to Marion or he could dish it to a wide open shooter after the defense collapse. And that was their whole, the Suns whole game plan. Whereas the Mavericks whole game plan was like, listen, we'll do a, a pick and roll to create a mismatch will back out of that, that pick and roll. And now Dirk is looking at Nash who he played a million times against one-on-one when they were playing in Dallas together, knew all of his weaknesses and exploited them. And, you know, they easily handled, handled the Suns in game five as well as game six. Yeah. Dude. And just going through the games, um, I don't mean to hit on them again or not hit on them. The opposite of hitting on a guy, but, um, <laughs> Sean Marion just like he never had the game to help his team get over the hump in any of these games like he always had I mean I think he had a 10 point game 11 point game then he had a couple 20 point games yeah but he just was never there when we needed him and it's because of pure exhaust I feel like yes because I know the series before I think he had like 32 points one game he really helped us over in one game where no one was really doing well but we never got that from him and we needed it but we just couldn't get it it's just you couldn't ask for it and I think Everyone knew, Suns fans, Suns teammates, coaching staff knew this team was just exhausted. I know I just said that, but you just saw it. You can see in the box score, you can see the Mavericks, how they just took advantage of it. They really did. They just took advantage of the team in the fourth quarter, the second half of their size and their shooting. And players would just go off shooting wide open threes. I don't know if it was just, you know, Suns defense was never that great, but there was just a lot of wide open threes being hit in late quarters. Well, we keep hitting on it because it's the facts, you know, I mean, you go back and you look at these games and you watch these games and it's clear, you know, again, the the Mavs beat the Suns by nine points in game six series over. They go on to the NBA finals. They lose to Shaq and D Wade in six games in the finals. And that's it. You know, that's the end of the 2006 season, you know, and you talk about, well, what's the legacy? What's the legacy of that 2005 and 2006 team? Well, one, it created some experience for members of the team, who would be around for the next season. And one of the reasons that the 0607 Phoenix Suns team is considered one of the biggest disappointments in Suns franchise history because of everybody who was on that team, the experience that they had, the battles that they had. Now Amari's back. 
You know, now we have depth at center. You know, the, the problems that we had when we played the Mavericks in 2005 and six in the playoffs was the fact that we didn't have that depth because everybody was hurt. Well, now that's back. You know, we have all this, you know, Nash has now won two MVPs and has a great year in 06 and 07, maybe even better than his MVP years. You know, Marion yeah. is now, you know, a, a, a solid four. You know, he's got his backup. You know, he doesn't have to rebound as much. He can focus a little bit more on defense, which was his wheelhouse. Rajab Bell, you knew what you had with him. And, and you felt like that team, you know, the legacy of the 06 team set up what was supposed to be the success of the 07 team, right? Yeah, it was supposed to be. And I, we talked about even the series against the Spurs where they lose, of course, a hip check, whatever. Yeah. But you, if you look at the stats, man, even Barbosa from the year before that we're talking about right now, he had 13 points a game. This season, yeah. 18 points. Like it, and then you got Roger Bell coming back, still scoring 14 points a game. But this is the time when, like, players were filling their roles. And they needed, I feel like, more years to get into those roles to be healthy and to do it, you know, the correct way, which every team should is just staying together. And you see it this year, but we even talked about, didn't you think like the Spurs were better than the Suns this year, the next year in 2007, 2006, 2007? Oh yeah, I definitely do. Yeah. Well, yeah, I do. Yeah, I do. I mean, they they proved it, you know, I mean, even when uh, the Suns had a chance to push that game to a game seven, they came out and they got their ass kicked. Yeah. You know, that 06, 07 squad was just, it just underperformed. You look at the 05 and 06 team, they were, of all those, the team of that little run, you know, 04, 05, 06, 07, you know, the, the three-year run right there. The 05, 06 team, by sense of the word team, was the best team because they had to be. Between the injuries and, you know, losing some key guys, they had to learn how to be a true team and rely on each other. But at the end, what, you know, what helped you get to that spot, seven seconds or less, is what killed you. Because it wasn't just seven seconds or less. It was seven guys total who played. And that was D'Antoni's greatest fault during that era, is by the time they got to the Western Conference Finals, in both years, they were bushwhacked. You know, the yeah. year before, there was the injury of Joe Johnson, but that was a tired team going against a physical Spurs team. This year, they were playing against a more finesse team in the, in the uh, Dallas Mavericks, but they still had some size, but that team was just tired, man. They were just so yeah. tired, and that's what that legacy was. You know, you take it into the next season, you were hoping that they'd learn from it, but again, they ran into the San Antonio Spurs, who, I mean, they proved to be the best team. You know, they were the NBA champions that year. Yeah, they always figured out a way, and uh... – I think it was just coaching and just, you know, it's like the Suns had this way of playing and then the Spurs adjusted to it and they were better at it almost in a way. Yep. I think they just had, honestly, to me, the biggest factor in all of this was Manu Ginobili. He was just way better than any Suns player we had at the time, I think. Well, yeah, he, you look at, you know, your number three guy. Our number three guy is Marion. Their number three guy is Manu Ginobili when they're all healthy. Yeah. And Marion is so great. And again, he hangs on my wall for a reason. I love it because he's the put your head down, hustle, you know, one tail, blue collar kind of guy. But he wasn't a guy who could create his own shot. He's not a guy who you could rely on offensively in big moments unless it was like a pick and roll. Other than that, there was no really plays designed for him. Whereas Manu Ginobili, he just could. He could create his own shot. He could do whatever he wanted. Yeah, and a defensive team like the Suns, they were helpless. There was just no way to stop it. And 
the only way they would have won is just picking up the pace even more, playing the way the Rockets are right now. You're not saying you have to go that small, but they were already that small. So well, I, like I, th- just... I think the pace was was right. I mean, seven seconds or less, it's hard to get faster than that. I think yeah. they just should have shot more threes. I mean, they had the guys to do it, mm-hmm. and Nash could set them up anytime he wanted. I can't tell you how many times going back and watching these games where Nash would hit Bell for a wide-open three and he'd pump fake and then take two dribbles and pass. Like, that was the shot. Nowadays, he would have shot that every time. Yeah, they did that a lot. I noticed a that, lot. too, where even when it got to the rim, I said that with Diaw, but there's a lot of times Nash would have a shot by, by the rim, just pass it out, Yeah, and then they keep passing. There's a lot of shots that were good looks, but they would keep passing out of it. They were, like, too passive, and it killed them. Yep. So that's it for the 2005-2006 the team. Do you got anything else to say about the team? No, just – Thanks for the memories. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I mean, I had a lot of great times at the bar going and watching the games back then. It was a, it was a fun run back then. You know, yeah. two, two game sevens, a game six. Uh, we, the, the team overachieved. You know, at the end of the year, you have to remember that. The 0506 squad overachieved, man. They had all the cards stacked against them. They still got an MVP out of it, got the number two seed in the West, and made all, all the way to game six of the Western Conference Finals. That's a damn solid year. Yeah, I mean, overachieve. You're too, I don't know. I mean, it all leads up to no championships. So whether they overachieved or not, it still wasn't good enough. Amen to that. So uh, that's it for this edition of the Suns Jam Session Podcast. Again, we appreciate you coming by and saying hi. Whether you're listening on uh, Spotify or Stitcher or Bright Side of the Sun, or if you're watching the YouTube channel, you know, thanks for stopping by. Make sure you press that little red subscribe button below. Uh, make sure that you follow us on Twitter at Suns Jam. Instagram's the same handle. I'm at Darth Voida. Matthew is? I'm at Matthew Lissy. You can follow us on Twitter as well. Uh, what do you think the next team we'll talk about next week is? Do you want to do the – what do you think? I don't I got, know. Um, I got two choices. Maybe we can make a poll out there for the listeners. We should just talk about the crappiest team <laughs> we've ever had. <laughs> what, last year's Suns? I don't want to talk yeah, about Yeah, I'm like, out of the last 10 years, which <laughs> team was it? What, the team that won 19 games? Yeah. Fuck that. Let's, uh, let's either – we'll put a poll out there for the Jamsters to vote on. <laughs> we'll, we'll put let, a poll up. I'll, I'll vote for one, you vote for the other. There you and go. And then we'll, the third person well, will tie it. <laughs> that will be our votes. <laughs> well, what I'm thinking is either the 89-90 Suns or the 94-95 Suns. Both made the – well, one made – I think they both made the Western Conference Finals. The 94-95 Suns, I think that was the Mario Ellie shot. And that was – Yeah. That was, Ugh, I don't know. It's just, that was the first time I ever broke a remote in my life. I was so, so right now. I just bad. I'm kind of sick and tired of talking about the Suns and how broken hearted I am. So well, that's every break. no matter we'll, what team we'll we go back tomorrow. When, when we go back and we look at our forgotten squads, yeah, we do these podcasts, none of them end with a championship. No, they all end. And so I'm like, <laughs> well, and that's what fucking sucked. So, but yeah. anyway, that's it for this uh, po- edition of the Suns Jam session. Thank you ever so much for listening. Have a great night. This is Matthew Lissy signing out. Everyone, stay home and love your family. Amen. Take care, everybody.